Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Welcome back to episode 15 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Brian Joyner of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Brian, what's good, man? Uh, it is the All-Star break, so while the Home Run Derby is on tonight, um, I, I don't like not having baseball. I mean, baseball that counts as much as I do like the All-Star break. I just I miss it already. I don't. Uh, I'm gonna be breathing this uh, this in all every every bit of this All Star festivities. Um, I'm childlike in the fact that I still really appreciate the Home Run Derby. Uh, last week when I was talking to Collins on this thing, we were like, "Yeah, we really enjoyed that that format, but we totally forgot what it was." Um, but yeah, it's a bracket, and that's gonna be awesome. So uh, gonna be looking forward to that tonight. And then uh, with the All Star game, I mean, you can't. Help but be interested in the uh, storyline there with David Ortiz batting cleanup uh, in his final all-star game. And, um, you know, he really deserves it, too, with how he's been playing this year. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, and I expect him to do something. It's hard to expect anybody to do anything in a given game. But he reminds me a lot just of the Cal Ripken Jeter type. And, you know, Cal Ripken famously had a pitch perhaps groove to him uh, from Chan Ho Park in his last All-Star game. But just things happen when people are watching. Uh, so uh, I would be surprised if he doesn't do something, and that's always a weird thing with baseball, because it's not supposed to work that way. 
Well, he seems to be able to will himself to do things in moments that he wants to do them, which is uh, pretty incredible. I mean, his his resume speaks for itself. It's it's pretty incredible. I hope it just doesn't get way too over the top with Ortiz stuff because it should be about baseball and not just David Ortiz. But if it turns into that, you know, so be it. There are worse things in the world. Um, it is pretty cool, though, that David Ortiz is batting cleanup, and he's followed by Xander Bogarts batting fifth. Uh, Mookie Betts is going to be batting seventh in that game. Uh, Jackie Bradley uh, is in left field batting ninth there. Uh, he moves to left field because uh, some guy named Mike Trout wants to play center field. So uh, shame on him. Yeah, and uh, I was thinking about the, the batting order, and I actually think this is the one that makes the most sense. Uh, it is the Red Sox have been so good that it feels weird to have the first guy batting fourth, but then you think about it, there's four of them. That's incredible. Uh, they're, uh, those guys are not uh, – if the Red Sox have problems, it is not those guys. No, absolutely not. I, I wonder, though, like, objectively, Mike Trout probably doesn't play as good a center field as Jackie Bradley does, right? He does not, and and – I think that at this point, I totally understand why Trout is center because you don't move the marquee player in baseball uh, unless there's a clear reason to supplant him. And I think Jackie is going to slowly make catches like he did the other day, that tumbling catch where he fell forward. Uh, Once he makes enough of those throughout his career, his defensive reputation might slide him in there but it's a, it's too early especially you know you're the batting eighth it is a it is a brand's thing you know right first um, time to the game has to earn it yeah i mean the fact that he's a starter is crazy if i was to tell you midwinter that jackie bradley jr would be a starter in the all-star game you would have laughed in my face i it just it just didn't come up it wasn't even a it wasn't even a possibility this is a donald rumsfeldian known unknown (laughs) um we know something is going to happen we can't see it and now that it happened it's uh i mean since he started out so hot it it's felt like it's lasted forever um and but in march no one said anything about this so yeah it's been great yeah, it's been really, really cool. Uh, hopefully it continues. I mean, I think it will. Uh, all these guys are just unbelievable baseball players. So uh, hopefully the, the trading deadline comes and goes without any of those guys ever being touched. Um, Stephen Wright didn't get the, the nod to be the starter uh, of that game. Uh, Chris Sale is going to get the nod there. Um, certainly Sale deserves it over Wright. Wright's had an awesome uh, first half of the year, but... Uh, Chris Sale is the best pitcher in the American League at this point, I think, pretty much hands down. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, and he's definitely the uh, the most – yeah, I mean, he's, he's just the best. Stephen Wright will probably be maybe the third pitcher used, which itself is kind of an achievement, even with people dropping out of the All-Star game in prodigious numbers on both sides. Uh, being the third pitcher out of the – uh, into the all-star game, if he is, as a knuckleballer, is even crazier than Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, if you told me this about Stephen Wright, I, I just probably would have said, oh, he, he's the second coming of Wakefield, which, I mean, he is. So, 
You know, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask you which one of those two scenarios you thought was more unbelievable. And I'm actually not sure that I feel like the Stephen Wright thing is more unbelievable than the Jackie Bradley Jr. thing. Because I really did not have any hope of Jackie even becoming uh, a very useful bat at all, let alone an impact bat in center field. Um, You know, I always thought the defense would be there. But with pitching, like... We've seen a number of, I'll say it, bad pitchers um, have really good one-halves to a season and, and do things like this and make all-star games where they don't really belong. I mean, I haven't combed back through the results, but I'm sure there's a number of guys that if we were to look back, we'd be like, oh, wow, that's weird that he ended up there. So I think with pitching, I'm just a little bit more uh, able to accept that uh, you know someone can do that for a half a season. Yeah, I disagree. I wrote something right at the end of spring training. It was talking about um, streaks and how we say uh, spring training doesn't matter. But after, you know, Jack Bradley had an amazing spring training. I think it was in 2014, 2013. Um, and then did come up to the majors immediately and just could not hit anything. I think that all. was 2014. It had to be 2014. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was like, okay, you know, he had one great spring training that doesn't mean anything. But I wrote something about how once he did it again in the majors, I know he cooled off in September last year. Mm-hmm. But to be able to be that good over two separate 30-day periods, I just wrote that it, it, it bode well for him. Now, certainly under no circumstance that I expect him to – head into the break with the numbers he has now. And he has slowed down a bit. Um, but as the last time I was on, we talked about that the cool thing is that even his, in his one for fours, those one are often extra base hits. Right. Um, and there's a walk thrown in. So he he's kept the numbers at a level where he, he isn't one of those guys who did so great in April and early May that by the time they get to the All-Star game and collected votes, because that's when they're collecting the votes right after that, uh, that it looks ridiculous. No, he looks like he belongs, and if he makes some crazy defensive play, which is certainly a uh, certainly a possibility, he could uh, he could steal he could steal a little part of the show. Yeah, he might pull a Tory Hunter here and just nab somebody's home run ball. I could see it happening. Who's going to pick him up then? Who would who would be the guy? Oh, uh, Stanton have to be. Well, yeah, Stanton, Stanton's a monster. He could pick is him he up. An all star? I think so, right? I don't. Why, I mean, he's been bad. Marcelo Zuna is an all star. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Marcel will pick him up. There you go. Yeah. Center fielder on center fielder crime. Um, yeah. So I think we have to be pretty ecstatic about the way that the Red Sox closed out the first half of the season. I mean, they sit here. Um, with the first half in the books at 49 and 38, second place, just two games back of Baltimore for first place. Uh, Baltimore has been sliding lately, and the Red Sox went into the break uh, winning seven out of their last nine games and sweeping Tampa Bay. Um, I think that did wonders to um, press pause on the panic that was setting in with Red Sox Nation during that June slump that was really ugly to watch and with all the problems in the rotation. And I think that some of these trades that just happened uh, really prove to me um, that Dave Dombrowski is, in fact, all in on 2016 and has seen enough that he believes that 
this team is indeed worth adding to. So I wanted to get your take on whether or not you're happy with where we're at right now and whether or not you agree that Dombrowski is indeed all in on this season. Yeah, I like to be short-term contrarian but long-term sort of steady, and I think that this year I've just been very positive about the team, uh, even in the downtimes, because they it's easy for us to take for granted just how much they poured it on in the uh, in the hot streak and you know uh, from basically from mid-April to mid-May or the end of May they were just a machine um, and that the you know June June was bad but you know I tweeted something about how the 2004 team had been uh, bad in June as well and Ben Buchanan over the monsters you know wrote the same thing so that they had you know their record was considerably worse uh, at this point than ours is. Uh, right now, the Giants was no, no, no. The two, well, the oh. Giants, the Giants of 2013 had a, had a worse. Sorry, the Giants of 2013 and the 2004 right. Red Sox both had terrible Junes. Okay, okay. Both, yeah. both won the World Series. So, um, or 2014 Giants. Um, anyhow, I'm very positive about where we are, and I think that uh, our problems are not uh, hard to diagnose. So. I, I agree. I don't think Dombrowski is necessarily all in, but he's definitely in on every conversation. Yeah, I think he's he's certainly in on every conversation. I don't think that he's going to do anything to jeopardize the future. Like, I don't think you're going to see um, any of the top guys like Moncada or Benintendi involved in a trade for somebody who's going to be a borderline pitcher like a Julio Tehran, who might come All right, and stabilize no, things. Time out, time out, time out. Mm-hmm. I this is I have argued uh, extensively mm-hmm. with our with our friends and colleagues mm-hmm. um, about Julio Tehran, and I think that uh, first of all, I think it's a possibility that Dombrowski trades Benintendi for Tehran. Now, the only reason I say that, and this gets into the next thing we're going to talk about. Is uh, is uh, Dabrowski talking about Benintendi maybe being able to make the jump from right. Double A now? And when I hear that, I look at it like a um, like a poker bet. Whereas I don't know what he's actually planning to do. I think he's representing a position that may or may not be the truth, and it signals to me that Benintendi may be. Uh, available uh simply because why why are you talking about the guy well see i i have trouble following that line of thinking when what we've seen so far out of the moves that dombrowski has made is that the prices for impact players on the market right now is not nearly as high as it's been advertised i think the fact that he was able to go out and get Naren Hill for what he did, the fact that he was able to go out and get um, a, a uh, Brad Ziegler for the price that he was that he was able to get him for, and the fact that guys like Hellickson and Rich Hill are out there as rentals, and I I would honestly rather have Rich Hill for the rest of the year um, than Julio Tehran, a guy who I know actually can pitch in this league. I don't think that he's looking to go out and do that and the fact of the matter is that those two trades that 
we're talking about didn't even send uh, any prospects from the top 20 uh, over there. So, I mean, how can you assume that he's then willing to part with one of those big names when there are still names out there that are presumably very gettable at reasonable prices? I don't... uh... I don't assume that he wants to do it, but I think it's an it's an option that's on the table. I think that we have done, and by we I just mean Red Sox fans in general, seem to really, for whatever reason, discount Julio Tehran and what we'd be trading for. He's a guy who signed, he's 25, he's having his best year, and his career numbers are great anyway. I understand he's in the NL, but... He's also paid nothing, nothing. His career, his his contract is like six million dollars a year. You tell me, out of I know our pitching prospects aren't top level, but out of a top level pitching prospect, for them to get just to get to the point where he's at right now is like a 90th percentile outcome. And I understand that pitchers are tough to gauge because they can always just one pitch and they're out, but right. he just signed a 31-year-old to a seven-year contract. Julio Tehran is 25, has run 200 innings the last couple of years. Good ERAs. I don't understand why he... I like, I, let me put it this way. I understand why the Braves are trying to get the most they can for him. And to... To wit, I think that Dombrowski might be saying Ben Teddy might make the leap trying to take him out of the discussion. Right. I just think that it's a move of some poor, some uh, kind to be talking about Ben Tendi when you have, as you said, clearly signaled that you're in on every trade discussion. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, I'm not going to rule out that he's going to be – completely unavailable. I, I think that it's possible in the right deal. I just don't – I personally don't believe that Tehran is that right deal. And I think you're you're absolutely right. There are a ton of really good things about Tehran, but some of the scary things are that he does give up home runs and then he's been miserable in a fairly small sample size against the AL East. And the NL East is certainly not the AL East. So um, it does worry me quite a bit. And I think that when I talked about this with – Ben Carsley a few shows back there, um, we kind of agreed that his impact may end up being something like a Rick Porcello on the rotation, and that's not small. I mean, Rick Porcello has been awesome for the Sox this year. He's been a real stabilizing force. But I don't know that that's worth top four prospects, and I just I just really believe that there are are going to be other solid options out there. So I, well, I s- hold on, hold on. I need to respond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, um, first of all, I, I'm bearish on Porcello and frankly, what we need right now is another Porcello. I understand that prospects are, uh, that we have great prospects and it's the problem is not that they're top four is that our top four are great. Um, but, a, they're still prospects, and uh, and B, we're playing a season right now. Right. And I think that the Ortiz thing, it's not just like a symbol. it's not actually a symbolic thing in any way. He's basically the best hitter in the majors right now. And 
that is something that's not going to be there next year. So uh, while I understand the concern, the value of having even someone at Porcello's level right now is huge. And I think Hill is a great, uh, obviously a great option in retrospect. I wish we kept him, but you know, you know how it goes. Hellickson, I just, I don't, I, I don't believe it. I, I'm not into it. Um, so that's a place where I think that's a point where I think we disagree. I think that any prospects given up for Hellickson are probably wasted prospects, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree that Hellickson is pretty much garbage. I tweeted to you that I have no real thoughts about him being any better than Clay Buckholtz. I think if the Red Sox were to make a move for Hellickson, that it would be for, you know, prospects in the 21 to 60 range, not even anybody in that Luis Alejandro Basabe range. And by the way, I said he wasn't a top 20 guy. He's a top 18 guy, um, but just barely borderline there. With Tehran, I, I mean, you're right. There's there's a huge argument to be made in favor of making a move for Tehran. Uh, a guy like Benintendi certainly could come up to the majors and be nothing more than a slightly above-average hitting left fielder, and Tehran helps you win this season. And this season, David Ortiz happens to be performing like very close to the best version of himself that we've ever seen. So, um, yeah, there's... There's certainly something to that, but I think that you do everything in your, uh, your in the realm of possibility to go ahead and get a guy like Rich Hill who can give you. I don't think things. we want a guy like Rich Hill. We want Rich Hill. We want Rich Hill, and I thought we had him because many of the early tweets with Aaron Hill was like, "Oh, the Red Sox trade for Hill." I'm like, "Oh, great, nice." Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Rich Hill is the is a better option. I'm not. That is definitely true. I just uh, – I think that we can't be precious. We can be precious about – look, we can be precious about Ben Attendi. He's great. And Moncada is not – there's no way. Moncada is not going anywhere. Um, so you think that gap between Ben Attendi and Moncada is sizable now? I don't know if it's sizable, but Moncada is still so young. I mean he's just – Moncada is uh, – you know, BP just released the top 50 prospects list. And uh, Craig Goldstein had Moncada as the number two prospect in baseball right now. Behind who? Uh, J.P. Crawford. Uh, I disagree with that. Well, he's Craig. You're supposed to disagree. <laughs> That's right. Hey, yeah. I, I got I got food with Craig on Saturday. It was nice. We had a great time. Uh, name horrible name dropping, but Benintendi was 11, and uh, Benintendi's. We can be precious about him, but I think the consensus is that Moncada is the, the the jewel. Yeah, he's not going anywhere, and I'd be really angry if he was, unless uh, a guy named Felix uh, or uh, Jose Fernandez was coming back here. Uh, I would be very angry if uh, Felix Hernandez was coming back here for for Juan Moncada. But let's. What if it was Jose Fernandez for both of the top guys? Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, I think I would too. He's he's, he's, he's so good. He's amazing. Um, all right, so let's talk about those little trades, though, that were made, because I think they were really good moves, and I think that maybe their impact is a little bit uh, uh, underrated right now, because the Red Sox at points during the season, and you know, being weekly on this podcast has been really helpful to kind of get the tenor of each week of the season, uh, but there Speak were points... yourself. 
Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, but there were points this year when uh, I really just looked down at that bench and I was like, oh, oh, oh boy, like where are they going to go next when there was Bryce Brents and Ryan Lamar and, you know, whoever else on the bench. And now uh, having Aaron Hill in the mix, who's a real quality bat, I mean, right now Aaron Hill is currently batting two eighty two on the season with eight home runs, um, pretty solid on-base percentage, um, and is a, a really good right-handed bat complement to what we have in Travis Shaw. Um, that's pretty awesome. And then um, Nick Martinez, I think, is a little bit underrated too because that frees up Marco Hernandez to go down and get everyday at-bats uh, in AAA. Um it just a lot of good things here. It also allows Brock Holt to be able to play left field on a regular basis without having to play that utility role. Uh, Michael Martinez was gotten for just cash. I think we'd both agree that that's a good move. But I want to talk to you about um, what I thought was a pretty light return for Aaron Hill uh, in just uh, the the lesser of the uh, Basabe brothers. And um, I'm sorry, Aaron Wilkerson. Um, and uh, who was it? Uh, Wendell Rijo for uh, for Aaron Hill. Well, I think I've mentioned to you before that I am not the most prospect versed of the um, of the rotating co-hosts of this podcast, nor of the greater Red Sox blogging community. I think that is largely because you guys are in a good way or sort of crazy. <laughs> I mean, uh, I really do mean that in a good way. There's like, you are the most interested people in the, you know, who aren't, who aren't these actual people or their families. Um, <laughs> so you guys, there That's isn't a way to put it. Yeah. But like, I, so I, let me just put it this way. I know who our top prospects are. I had never heard of neither Aaron Wilkerson nor Wendell Riho, and I know Aaron Hill is good. Given what I just said about Ben Intendi and my attitude toward prospects, I love this deal. I love all. The, I think the Ziggler deal is great too. Uh, uh, the Ziggler is. I mean, uh, I think Collins had a piece on over the Monster today about how he basically took the Carson Smith role, uh, mm-hmm. and now what that would have evolved into given the Kimbrel injury. Um, so he has the same role. It's just been shifted around. Yeah, I'm just shocked. I mean, to give give the listeners a little bit of a breakdown for what was given up for uh, Aaron Hill. and Aaron Wilkerson, who was the piece, he's 27 years old. We've talked about him frequently on the show. Really good numbers in AAA, but still scouting reports profile him as at best fifth starter or rotational depth. You know, sometimes a spot starter. Wendell Riho was a semi-important second base prospect for a while, but has been batting uh, just under the Mendoza line this year in uh, the high minors. So um, that's been really nothing of value to the Red Sox, who are pretty rich at that position as well. And then the Brad Ziegler deal, Luis Alejandro Basabe, uh, who is the lesser of the two uh, Basabe brothers, uh, Alexander uh, Basabe, Luis Alexander, uh, is the higher-ranked prospect out of those. Um, he really profiles as more of a utility-type player. And then Jose Almonte's organizational depth maybe a, a reliever someday. So the fact that those two guys were able to yield Brad Ziegler uh, was amazing to me, considering the fact that he held a closing job with a team 
and he had a 2.75 ERA. And it's not like this is an isolated thing. I mean, he's he hasn't had an ERA above 3.26 uh, in a couple of years. And uh, if you take away his 3.49 from 2014, um, he's been pretty much this good since like 2009. It's it's pretty incredible that we were able to land this guy for this price. Yeah, I got to tell a quick story. Uh, the, so after I saw Craig on Saturday, that was because there was a BP event at City Field. Uh, so we went to that, and there was a Q&A session with Sandy Alderson beforehand. And uh, someone just asked him, like, what do you do when you're just sort of idling? He's like, yeah, I'll go to MLB.com. That's where he goes for his stats. He's like, I'll just look at the other reliever. I'll just look at other teams who I think might be pitching, uh, might be sellers, and look at their pitchers, see what relievers have ERAs under three. That's it. That's how he scouts. That's how he starts <laughs> looking at relievers. And Ziggler is like, oh, that's the perfect candidate. Uh, you know, Ziggler's just one of these guys who is always, I mean, if my imagination, if, if I'm remembering his peripherals correct, he always outperforms them. He's just. Uh, he's just a good pitcher. But that is he, very true. Yep. Yeah, he just uh, he is exactly to me what uh, what Sandy Alderson was deciding, and I think that the way the Red Sox have done these moves indicates that Dombrowski is. Uh, I think he is willing to spend, but he's very judicious about when he's going to make the deals. So I think that the fact that the Sox are going to bring up Eduardo Rodriguez again rather than uh, pay for Rich Hill or Julio Tehran now doesn't mean I think that he's not committed to making a trade. I think he's probably just waiting for the equilibrium to uh, to pan out uh, as the trading deadline gets closer and things change. The yeah. stats changes quickly every day. Now, Eduardo Rodriguez is a very suboptimal option, so uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it, it's certainly not like any team in dealing with Dombrowski feels like just because he's been a guy who's been willing to trade prospects means that they can call him up and you know basically rip him off. He's he's the one who has the last laugh pretty much 90% of the time in his trading history. So he's a very, very good judge of when to pull the trigger. Hopefully he can continue to do that. Um, he's been adamant, though, that one of the – things that he's not going to go after um, in this trade market is left field. Um, you know, he's he talks to the media quite a bit for a GM, which is something, or not a GM, but president of baseball operations, um, which I really like. I think he kind of tells it how it is a lot of the time, which is good for us. Um, but he referenced Young, Holt, Swihart making their way back eventually, Holt dealing with a little bit of an injury now. Um, and then he mentioned the idea, like you already said, of promoting Benintendi um, from Double A, not necessarily needing him to be in Triple A, and that pretty much seals it for me. And uh, especially with the Michael Martinez thing playing in now too, I think that he isn't going to go outside for left field, and I think that he feels good enough about this offense that you know all of the chips are going towards starting pitching. Yeah, uh, he just. I said this the last time I was on here. It just reminds me of the finance guy, Jamie Dimon, so much. I mean, they look the same. They have the same perfect silver hair. I have no idea who that is. He's the CEO of J.P. Morgan, um, which is the biggest bank. Uh, and he is like 
he's this he's the silver fox he's like roger sterling from Mad Men if he was sober and uh made billions upon billions of dollars i like how you then explained to me that jp morgan was a bank <laughs> yeah yes jp morgan chase and co um yeah but he's a he's also the chairman of the board and very few people are both CEO and chairman of the board. He's just – and he looks the part. He could not look the part anymore than Dombrowski looks the part of like – He, I think he's very confident in his abilities. Let's just put it that way. He should be so, in Florida at all times wearing yeah, a collared shirt. Yeah, he looks like he should be in like – like at the dog track. Not the, the horse – you know, the horse track. The, a fancy horse track, not right, like a trashy like, one. Right, exactly. Like wearing the the pastels and whatnot. Yeah, and 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 winning money both on bets and on the horses he owns, and having people just deliver him stacks of money for unknown reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're on the same page with that. Um, but one thing that we didn't talk about while we were talking about these these moves that Dombrowski made was just how good of timing they were, considering. The, the injuries that have just happened in the bullpen. We haven't even brought up Craig Kimbrell yet. And, you know, he's he's supposed to be in the All-Star game, but he's not going to be there because he's out three to six weeks with a torn meniscus, uh, which he got from shagging fly balls. Uh, and Tozawa is dealing with a little bit of shoulder tightness as well. So this Brad Ziegler move really couldn't come at much of a better time. Um, and... I guess it was in the works before any of those things even happened. And I think the the, the quickness in which it happened kind of um, shows that that was probably true. Yeah, it was it was uncanny. Um, and I, you know, Kimbrell has been good. I think he made the all-star team by reputation. I think that's fair to say. Uh, and not that he's been bad, but... Uh, the Red Sox certainly didn't need more people to represent them. Uh, it's it's a perfect it's a perfect move. Uh, it's I I don't know what else to say. I'm glad I'm so glad it happened. I I wonder if the deals all these deals they made right before the All Star break. I I literally wonder if it's something as simple as these teams give the front office employees time off during the All Star break. And they wanted to squeeze out some deals that, you know, are not franchise defining. So Dombrowski's just able to get them done quickly because people know he'll always listen and he has the resources. I would like to think that that's the reason. It's probably just a coincidence. Yeah, I I would like to think that it's because he's just awesome at his job. So I'm going to continue to think that. But um, you mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, after the All-Star break, the Red Sox do open up their series uh, against the Yankees on Friday, and it was announced that Eduardo Rodriguez would be getting that start. Uh, it was definitely a little bit surprising to me. Uh, I'm of the opinion that he should continue to stay down in uh, AAA and work on some things. He's been working on positioning of his hands, um, and supposedly um, he's making strides in that department. But after one and one rain-shortened start, so less than two starts really, um, uh, he's coming back up, and I just don't feel really good about that um, going into New York or opening up against New York. I wanted to get your opinion as to why you think they did this and why not just reset, considering David Price is going to have uh, you know, 
ample time to rest up, and they could really just start the rotation at the top going into the series against the Yankees. Yeah, John Farrell does a lot of things that we just don't understand uh, along these lines that seem like their decision that for whatever process they have for this is is the right answer, period. And uh, it's just such an internal thing that I, I just can't pretend to know why. It is weird. You know, the Giants, like last night um, on Sunday Night Baseball, um, Madison Bumgarner strikes out 14 guys in a one-hitter. Uh, absolutely amazing pitcher, amazing game by him. But the Giants announced that after the All-Star break, guess who's going to be pitching? Madison Bumgarner. So um, it's just kind of shocking. I, I don't well, know. Well, no, not with him. I feel like if you told him he couldn't start when he, he's going to have four days rest, he might, like, chain you in a basement until you <laughs> let him start again. That dude is crazy. That dude is amazing. He is. Uh, he's so he is. good. I, I, the one thing I've always wondered about him, because throwing sliders is just hell on your arm, and he's still like 26, I think. He's he's super young. He's super young compared to how long we've been following him right. at the major league level. That if he has like a Barry Zito-like um, extended career, because if he doesn't, and if he remains this good for the rest of his career it will be something we haven't seen i guess like randy johnson is that the main uh analog but i love that dude and I, I don't that doesn't surprise me at all because he's good also yeah you know i wonder if his size and delivery have something to do with that ability to just throw innings like a mofo and he's six foot five 235 pounds and he throws from that weird side angle release point that's just like kind of tough for people to pick up on so i don't know maybe maybe there's just not as much stress on him as there normally would be for a guy like that well there was always a read about randy johnson that because his release point was i mean he, he was taller but because of uh his release point being so much closer it added like three or four miles per hour uh visually to how to how fast he was actually throwing it and, I, you know, that could be in play here, too. Yep, I agree. Um, the starters in the AL, though, and we haven't really talked about that at large, it's kind of disappointing when you compare them to the National League crop of starting pitchers. If you look at it up and down, if you were to look at, you know, top 15 pitchers in baseball right now, off the top of my head, I'd say that probably 12 or 13 of them play in the National League right now. Yeah, I, it's. I mean, it, there's a there is some chicken and egg part of it, a little bit. Uh, I think toward the end of the list, you might be getting into league effects, but for the most part, it's independent of that. For the most part, you know, Chris Sale is the only the, the only guy I think you'd put up there with the top National League guys. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of like. Who else would be up there? I mean, David Price should be up there, right? Yes. Yeah, I would say he's still the second best pitcher in the American League. I think Felix is clearly taking a step back. I don't think anybody really. Uh, what about Kluber? Oh yeah, Kluber. Kluber. Kluber's great. Um, 
Carrasco has been coming on. Salazar has been good. Uh, you know, but I think Sale is clearly better, and he's the only one who has put himself even close to the tier that, frankly, is still entirely below Clayton Kershaw. But uh, yep, I agree with that. It's uh, it's a shame that Kershaw is not going to be able to be at the All Star game because of the back injury, but. Um, I have been very vocal um, on podcasts in the past about how much I love Johnny Cueto. So uh, I myself will be very happy with that. I just love watching Cueto pitch. Every time he goes out, that guy pitches like eight or nine innings. And he well, he won't, to he won't tomorrow. He won't no, tomorrow. He will okay. not tomorrow. Um, I wonder how his, his game will play in the All-Star game, you know, because he is a guy that likes to go really long. I I think that it's really nice that he's starting because, you know, he's sort of facing the Royals, you know, the, the manager and the team he was on. Right. So that's really cool. Uh, I uh, here's a question that came up. This is to be the last thing we can we ask. Who would be the, assuming it's not Kershaw, mm-hmm. who would be the NL MVP right now? Ooh. Uh, Chris Bryant? Yeah, that's a good one. Let me throw another name at you because this is why it came up. Okay. How about Daniel Murphy? Oh, man, he has murdered the Mets this year. He's he got like nine a- home runs against his old club. He hit a home run at the game we were at that was like 380, 390 minimum. Uh, just, just killed it, and he hit it another one that bounced off the wall i mean he's batting like 340 he's so underrated his hit tool is off the charts yeah i but i think that he's a i think he's a real possibility at this point uh kershaw getting hurt i think opened it wide i mean bryant craig and i were talking about this and bryant was the guy i suggested as the next logical alternative, and I think he clearly is. Oh, or Posey, who is actually probably the best of all of them. But Posey's incredible. He's. I think he's actually the guy who should be MVP. He uh, could easily be the MVP of the National League pretty much every season because of what he does behind the plate. I mean, he's he's unbelievable at every facet of the game and, like, in the clubhouse and off the field and, like, at eating breakfast and at walking his dog. Like, he's just better than everybody. Yeah, he's a uh, – he reminds me and is in some ways better than, which is amazing, uh, the prime of Joe Maurer where he was just like, this guy cannot do – he does everything right. I mean, what, you'll give him the MVP uh, if – just everything lines up. Uh, I guess I. I don't know. I think Posey's great. Anyhow, we got to go watch a home run derby. Yeah. Well, before we do that, I just wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, futures game MVP Yoan Moncada last night uh, had two hits, including an eighth inning home run. There, uh, Ben Intendi led off the game for the USA team, went hitless. But um, you know, the future is bright for the Red Sox on the farm. Future is bright for the second half, and, uh, you know, everybody just gear up for what's going to be an awesome second half, and uh, I'm just really excited that we have a second half to worry about this year. Yeah, it's it, we have not had a season like this since 2012, um, and that one 
Oh, no, not even that. Since 2011? Is it? 2012 was garbage. It was garbage from start to finish. After the collapse in 2011, right. 2013 they won, and then 14 and 15 they were terrible. This is the first year in five years that we've gotten to – that we've sort of just been in the mix, not at the top or at the bottom. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting, and it'll be interesting to see what teams present themselves as sellers and what the Red Sox are able to scrounge up from starting pitching. So this is going to be a must-listen-to podcast, well, forever, because it's awesome, but especially in the next few weeks as uh, as things shake out. So um, with that, you can follow us uh, on iTunes, subscribe to us, rate and review us there. Um, you can also do the same thing on Stitcher. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at @devjake, and you can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian. Where are you, Brian Joiner? That's Brian with a Y, Jake, and Joiner with an I. Yes, I misspelled his name in the agenda today, and I feel badly about it. But it's not the first time. I never get anybody on the first time. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks for joining me, Brian, with a Y. And I uh, hope you enjoy the, the All-Star festivities as much as I am. Bye.